Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. It is, uh, what are we here, Matt? Week eight recap? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, we're already in week eight, or, or already at the end of week eight, week, I should say. End of week eight, mwire.com. Again, check our previews, recaps. We'll have some basketball stuff this week as Hoops is coming out, so be be on the pre- prepare for that. Plus, me and Andy will be back for a basketball podcast at some point to do some previews. So just subscribe. You get it all, football, basketball, and There'll be some randomness. We, we screw around all the time, but this is football. And we've had heartbreaks this week. T- at least, uh, how many heartbreaking games did you say we had? Three? Four? I guess it really de- it depends on your definition of heartbreak. Because, you know, not every game was a close game this weekend. Um, but four of them were decided by seven points or fewer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say at least, you know, at least one of them was maybe a, a, an upset oh. against the spread. Like a, a massive upset against the Vegas spread that we talked about in, uh, in, in the preview. So, you know, d- I would assume that heartbreak is going to mean something a little different for a lot of different fan bases <laughs> around the mountain West this weekend. Exactly. Let's just get to it. Thursday evening football, UNLV. I like to say you put on Twitter, Matt, about coaches who block us. What's the, do you have the exact number in front of you? So I, so you can I was just, I, was just I, I mean, I, I, there are, there are not, you know, a number of other Vegas beat writers who kind of, you know, I don't know how much ingest or how serious it is, 
but you know, they have like the daily count of like how many days it's been since you went up, you won a football game and things like that. So I just put it out there very tongue in cheek to say that, <laughs> that Mountain West football coaches are 0 13 when they block us on Twitter. Um, Case yeah. in point, uh, San Jose State's 27, UNLV 20. Um, <laughs> th- this could all be over with the push of a button. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Coach Harson blocked us too, but they're winning. So that, that's no, actually, he never did. I thought he did. He blocked no. everybody else but us. Apparently. Maybe it's me personally. Maybe it's my personal account, possibly. Huh. I don't know. Um, I think it was. But this game, 27-20, San Jose State gets to win, come from behind win. Like, I feel terrible for you and LB because this is a game where not just game, but like they had lost 13 plus neuron or work for a new head, newish head coach. So here's what really hurt them. Like they, the fumbled in the first half, which led to a San Jose state touchdown with a couple seconds left. And then the game tying drive where there's no time left to score. They moved the ball on the field. Okay. Like, so, so let's, let's talk about the first one first. Okay. Because I think the they're both, I think they're both indicative of, of the same kind of you know they're both symptomatic I would say of conservative play calling or, or play calling yeah. that didn't that didn't make a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. let, let's start with that drive at the very end of the uh, you know late in the first half, late in the second quarter. It's first and tw- first and ten at their own twenty five or more or less, right? Yeah. They hand the ball off to Charles Williams three straight times, and and when you do that. You know, typically, okay, you're like, okay, you're trying to just bleed the, you're trying to bleed the clock and get into halftime with the lead. You know, like you're not threatening to score. You're just looking to try and take time off the clock. And no timeouts are called either. From yeah, San Jose State, San Jose State to... had timeouts. Didn't seem like they were all that inclined to call them though. Like what? Until they forced the fumble. You know, Kate Hall forced the fumble. I forget exactly who picked it up. Now all of a sudden, San Jose State's got a you know a short field with like what was it like a minute to go under a minute. Yeah, the 16 seconds left. They got the ball there at the Rebels 33 yard. Oh, line. that's right. That's right. And then the Derek D's 32 yard pass from McNash to get it to the one. And then Nevin just pulled timeout, rushes it in. So, my question and, is like, you know, yeah. if your entire intent was to just like kill the clock, you'll kneel once, the ball. Once you felt satisfied that you had done, that you would burn enough clock, why not just kneel on it? Yeah. They have Charles Williams, who's a reliable running back. Mm-hmm. It's. So there's that. Like he's, I saw some stats. He's the first Rebel back that's 700 yards in three seasons, yes. helped by the extra COVID year. But still, he's still very, very good. But okay, get it. Once you realize, like after first down, okay, seven yard play. Okay, they didn't call a timeout the first down, first time. Okay, fine, let it run down. Maybe run to try to get a first down, then take the knee. Like once you get that first down, which is what they did, why not take a knee on first and ten with 16 seconds left? Exactly. Like. Do you not trust Cameron Frill to take a knee? I don't know what the deal is. Like, they thought Charles Williams would bust off the 64, 63 yarder. It's like, just they're not trying to get the ball back. They're like, whatever, we'll go to the half. Even with timeouts, not a big deal. Like, they, they felt we're not going to score. If I was Spartans, I'd probably have taken a timeout after first down. But I bet the thing was, well, they get seven yards in first down. What's the point? Had they made a stop or got a minimal gain or even a loss, they would call a timeout to try to get it back. But that. I don't know, running the ball the first time, not a big deal because they have t- because they have timeouts, so don't take a knee that deep. You know what I mean? Like, you got to mm-hmm. try to run the ball. No, no need to pass. Okay, they don't call timeouts. Second and three. Yeah, it's running because you don't want third down because you've made the punt because you time out and get the ball back again. Yeah. So the first two plays were the proper play to do. But when you get the first down, take the F and D. Like, what are you guys doing, man? Like, Coach Arroyo, OC, it's like, 
what are you doing? Like, Kate Hall got the fumble. Jay Leonard picked it up. And even, like, Spartans were not even guaranteed to score, which is also a heartbreaker because, okay, first attempt to 33, they a 50-yard field goal is very difficult for any college kicker. But then you get a Derek Deese, who's amazing, gets the one-yard line. Like, let's take a shot so we have, and if we kick a long field goal, whatever. But, and then, yeah, it's there's that. And then the final drive of the game where it's like they go 19 plays. No, no, no. I was, I was looking at the drive before that. Oh, uh, the field goal? The missed field goal. Oh, which one was that? Oh, wait, which, which missed field goal? So, the, so it started. So that's a drive that started with about 14 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Oh, you that know, one, okay. it was, it was still, it was tied at that point. You San Jose State had just tied the game. And UNLV, like, it's, it's sort of a weird game because, like, when you look at it on a per-play basis, like, San Jose State outgamed the Rebels on a, on a per-play basis. And some of that is offset a little bit by the fact that, the, that San Jose State had five sacks, which totaled, about, I think, about 30 sack yards. But even, even with that, you know, the Spartans averaged, you know, seven yards of play and sacks aside, I would say that, the, that UNLV had averaged over five, right? So it wasn't like their offense was terribly explosive, but they were moving the ball fairly effectively. You know, they had a, a fairly yeah. substantial time of possession advantage when all was said and done. You know, they were fairly successful on third downs, you know, way more than they had been in a lot of respects throughout the year. And so, you know, you look at that drive and they, they were stringing it together from their own 25-yard line. They get all the way down to the San Jose State 22. It's fourth and one. Yeah. And... I understand that Daniel Gutierrez had been maybe like the most reliable kicker in the conference. He had been perfect. He had just set a program record for like most consecutive field goals made. But even then, you know, 40 yards is not a gimme, right? And you have, and you have Charles Williams in the background or in the backfield rather, who had already, you know, moved the chains for, you know, first downs on five different plays throughout this, throughout the game to that point. You know, he finished the game with like how many rushing yards did he have? 100, uh, 103 or 94, excuse me. I was looking at the, the gain rather gotcha. than the net. So, tw- you know, 24 carries, 94 yards. So, like, he wasn't as, as explosive as he had been in the last couple of weeks, but he was getting the job done. Why not rely on him to get one more yard? Your team, you're not wrong because your team who's lost how many 12 in a row going to this point, you're tied. It's like, um, this loss hurts worse because they don't try. They try that because, like, Frill could run reasonable. Like that whole drive, Frill ran a couple of times. Like they ran the entire drive essentially. There's the incomplete pass on that first and ten, but they are running almost every play but two. It looks like there's that Kyle Williams reception on the first play. Mm-hmm. Every play was a run. Every play was more than one yard. So yeah, like you be aggressive. State, they didn't get a lot of push really in throughout the entirety of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I think make they only them had go like, 80 what? yards. Yeah, they if you had, miss it, make them go 80 yards. I don't know. They yeah, did six, essentially six, but... six TFLs, which is you know, it's good, not great, but a lot of that was wrapped up in sacks. You know, they had yeah. five sacks and six TFLs. So, like basically the running game, it wasn't like spectacular, but given the circumstances, it was getting the job done. And not only that, Cameron Friel may have had his best overall game as a starter as yeah, well. He turned 240 yards, efficient, only eight incompletions. He ran couple yards here or there but when he whatever sack yards not included obviously but still they like here's the thing spartans did regardless of what spartans they went down the score so if you get the first if you don't get the first down you still make them out to work for eight, about 80 yards yeah but odds were good it's one yard it's a spot in the field where i would argue any point in the game you should go for it you know what i mean yeah like unless you, for a college game it's like why 
unless you're down big, whatever. This is a time where you need to be aggressive. You're a team that's not winning. You're not winning games. You settle for a field goal and one that's not even no matter how good your kicker is. Like anything beyond 30, I'd say 37 yards is probably maybe 35 or whatever. 35 to 40, yeah, well, maybe. Like once you get to 40, it's like just go for one freaking yard. Try to draw them off sides. Try to do something. Go, do I don't know. It's like it's one yard. You If you can't get one yard, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I feel especially bad for the Rebels defense too because – even within that subsequent drive that San Jose State went down and, and took the lead, I think, in this game. You know, how many times did, did did they force a fumble that San Jose State picked up? I think it was on back-to-back plays, actually. Yeah, they got the, on the third and one, they had the fumble, and then there was um, – There was one right before that. I think so. Nick Nash or something, I believe. The no gain or something, I believe it was a fumble, too. Yeah, I was, I like, was seeing in the stat line that the, the, the San Jose State had five fumbles – and only lost two of them. Jeez. Not good. Gotta pick up the ball. So it's, it's like because oh, it's that's a brutal break. It's tough. It's it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's just, you know, I, I feel like in this case, you know, like you needed to be more aggressive. And it's sort yeah, of disheartening you're... because we I feel like we saw more of that last year than we have for the most part out of these same rebels this year. And I don't know exactly where that change comes from, but it's like, you know, if you're going to rely so much on your stars, right. And, and we talked about it, I think primarily in the last recap going into the last preview, but like, you know, again, for the second straight week, basically nobody else out of the backfield got any carries besides Charles Williams. Yeah. Exactly. So if, if you don't trust anybody else, but him, your quarterback, and you know, your handful of reliable pass catchers, and I'm talking primarily about like Kyle Williams and, and Steve Jenkins. Collins, if yeah. you don't trust anybody else to do the job, then then you know, if you're leaning on them already for every other situation, why not lean on them for those high leverage situations? It was working for the most part in this game. Yeah. The worst part, possibly the worst part was the final play game where it's 32. You don't even get a play if you get sacked. Game over. Mm-hmm. Like how do you how do you take a sack of that final play? Like we know it's a pass. They brought the house, like they brought a blitz. It's like that's like the worst part. They're moving the ball, like you said. They that drive there a mix of good pass, good running plays. They did the drive perfectly, except on the final play of the game, you can't even get an attempt in the end zone. No, that sucks. It, it, it also you put out like the one score games, aren't they? What 0-4 this year in one score games, UNLV, something like that. Well, they're 0-5 now. Oh, 0-5. Okay. Like they're a team where this, if we want to talk positive about them, it's they're getting closer. So they're not getting blown out. So maybe next year they're a team where, oh, maybe they win a couple of those games. They win more of those games. Or maybe they're good enough with all these young guys. I know they have to replace Charles Williams, but like they have Tyler Collins, Kyle Williams. They'll have whoever's a quarterback for at Brumfield. They have a D. I think their quarterback play for the future set up reasonably well with whoever it is. I think that's safe to say, but. You got to get some wins this year, and they got a couple games left, but maybe they'll win a few here or there. I don't know who they have off the top of my head going forward, but this is some progress, but it's also coaching blunders. It's like you're not going to bowl game. You have not that you have nothing to play for, but get everybody excited. You know what I mean? Like yeah. go for it. If you if you get stopped, you get stopped, whatever. But go for it. Do like a play action, go for the end zone or something. You know what I mean? Fourth and one, get Charles Williams, you go over the top to somebody, do something, pull out the uh Texas tight end slip when they did the Big 12 title game with James Brown for that big, huge gain against, I think, Nebraska. It's like, come on, do something to move the ball. Don't just settle for a long field goal. That's not a guarantee. Like, had they been fourth and one at the 10, 
sure, kick the field goal. You're probably you're likely gonna make it. I have no problem with that. But that part in the field, it's like it's risky. Speaking of coaching blunders, no, no, nothing about the Spartans. We're all talking about you're gonna be blowing the game. Anything you want to say about SJSU? Are we good? Because that was I mean, a nice move to go on to, and I blew it for you. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I guess you know, I still don't know what to make of this team. So you got Nick Nash at quarterback. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I think it is mostly dependent on like, you know, the offense being able to perform well against defenses that allow them to perform well. And, and I think we, especially when you look at the last month or so and you compare, you know, the performance against New Mexico State and UNLV to the performances they had against San Diego State and Colorado State, there's really no comparison. And yeah. so they're kind of, you know, and the defense, again, has remained mostly the same. You know, they would say that they led the way in this game, you know, five sacks, you know, force the, the turnover and things like that. But the offense has been very up and down relative to its competition. And so you, you see Nash kind of having a breakout game. And a lot of that had to do yeah. with, with their ability to exploit the exact same thing that Arizona State was able to with Jaden Daniels. You know, Nash had 17 carries and 121 yards. So yeah, like, like it, I guess you would call it like, what, a B-plus performance on that side of the ball? And if they can get more of that, they can still be a threat. Like, you know, they're they're not like any – like they're not probably going to win the West Division title or anything like that. But more performances like this, and they could get into bowl eligibility pretty comfortably in the next couple of weeks. It's just a matter of which which offense is going to show up. Well, it's like look what San Diego State, their game was almost a victory. Like Exactly. That's a team where we'll just – we'll get them, but their offense isn't good, so they can keep pace because the Spartans' defense is good enough. Yeah, I'd say B-plus just because Tyler Evans didn't do great. Isaiah Hamilton, did he play? Because he had no catches, it looks like. Um, he did. had targets, no no catches. That's what I thought. Okay, I was like making sure. So, yeah, I'd say Nick Nash probably his best performance as a Spartan, 200 yards, 120 rushing. So, they did well. So, yeah, they're a team that can cause enough trouble, San Jose State, to just mess with somebody, I think, right, at this point. Yeah. All right, next game. Oh, boy. Colorado State. 24, Utah State 26. Um, be honest, how many times did you watch that replay? Five? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not enough. Um, here's what I have to say. Besides, um, I'll get to a minute with Coach Adazi on throwing our brain under the bus. If you have a <laughs> – just a life question for you, Matt. If you have something very important you're going through, it's like, all right, you're either going to – if scenario A happens, you're doing this. If scenario B happens, you're doing this. Like, And it's going to be like – it's going to be a quick decision. Or not even a quick decision, just a big decision. You wanna, you you know, if this happens, we're doing this. If this happens, we're doing this. Would you have some sort of communication or signals, particularly when it involves other people, of saying yes, we're doing this, or no, we're doing this? Like some sort of signal. I would like to think I have that base covered. <laughs> well, Stephen Dazier does not. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> not. St- because they said they did not give the signal to. Um, he says Dazier, no coach signaled them on. And the unit got car- and the fil- quick field goal unit got carried away. Like you should have a signal field goal spike. It's not like no go or something that says go or no go. Like be ready. They're probably I don't remember. I'm trying to recall what I saw, but you see the situation. All right, the field goal unit. Everybody's on the field goal team is lined up by the ball or like on the sideline, lined up ready to go, like right behind the out of bounds. Mm-hmm. So when the play's dead, they run and go. So they're ready to go. But it used to be a signal like, no, stay back. We're spiking. No. Like something to say yes or no. You don't have that. Plus also another issue with this, there was, they, they did, okay, they rushed in the field. Oh, crap. You got to do this. Okay, we're going to kick it. 
they still had time to set a couple seconds to get more settled than they did. Mm-hmm. Because by the time was by the time the ball kicked in the air, there was still one second left on the clock, which means they kicked it with the what four or five seconds left, mm-hmm. something something like that. So they could have settled like, oh crap, running field, we got to do this. They still could have taken okay a deep breath or two, and then kicked the ball. They're like they were, but the biggest thing is coaching is like like. Am I, am I correctly reading this? Adazio is a special teams coach. Is there no? A, he a is more or less doing it himself. Yeah, they don't have a special teams coordinator, which which you know I, I wrote in the in the winners and losers column. Like in itself, that is not unusual. There's I think I read um, there are seven FBS teams that do not have a special teams coordinator. But that man, is unusual. Then man, seven of one thirty. Like I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. He's not. It's not like he's the only one who's chosen to make that move. But like, how often are they going to get snake bit by this before something somebody does something about that? I don't know, man. Because that is like, and they have to give the callers this. Like, dude, just own up to it. You screwed up. You didn't have them ready to go. You didn't say we're going or not going. Like, the kids are excited. But you got to be the adult in the room and say, hey, where's your, your like I said, your signal to go on the field or not? They go on there. They miss the field goal. They lose Utah State wins. Like, they could have been, like, they would have been under. Like, how long was the field goal? I don't have that in front of me. What was the length? It was makeable, right? It wasn't, like, super long. It wasn't an impossible field goal. It was a 42-yarder. Okay, so within range. Like, nothing crazy, but not easy either, especially if you're running out the rest you're going. But, like, this Rams team, like, their defense played amazing in this game. Yes. 13 TFLs, eight sacks, four pass deflections. They were all over Logan Bonner. The running game for Utah State only averaged just whatever this is includes sack, not – Reducing for sack yardage, but two and a, two point three yards per carry. Um, well, I mean, you, just, you just you, you just look at that trio of Alalian Miller, uh, Pelade, Makakona, and John Gentry. You know, yeah, yeah, like between them, maybe four yards a carry. Like that, yeah, yeah and that's that's Noah, a big team win right there. Yeah, Noah had almost hundred yards, but took him twenty six carries under four yeah yards, under four yards per. I'm like, they, look at the offense. David Bailey played well. Todd Santeo had a really good game. Dante Wright came back and did. Reasonably, reasonably well, four for 71, like not, not amazing, but good. They got a different receiver, Gary Williams involved. They like David Bailey caught a, almost had 200 total yards of offense. Like, there's no reason the Rams should have lost this game, even foregoing that final kick blunder. Well, and not only that, like, you know, the defense, I would say the defense did its job again. Like, you know, with sack yardage and everything, they held the Aggies to 4.4 yards per play. Um, you know, they held them to what three field goals and four red zone opportunities, you know, yeah. not nine points, four chances. That's pretty impressive under normal circumstances, especially considering the offense also scored a touchdown on all three of its own red zone tries. You know, they were better on third downs. Some of that was offset by USU's willingness to go for it on fourth down. You know, the Aggies were yeah. also three of three. It was just sort the of fumble, like, well, the fumble out to a touchdown as well didn't help help. Didn't help them out either, but the lack of discipline. Yeah, and and you know, and obviously the field goal mess was the most glaring example. But also they had nine penalties for eighty-six yards as well. Mm-hmm. Twice as many penalties, twice as much penalty yardage. A lot of those penalties played a role in pretty much every single Utah State scoring drive. So, you know, it's just one of those things where you know everybody did a lot of things right but they did just enough dumb things to undermine the entire story. Yeah. Minus one turnover margin. They scored a touchdown off the field, off the fumble. Utah state did. They, um, what else did they do? 
the uh, third downs weren't great. Like they will just say the four of 18 on third downs. Mm-hmm. Like Rams. Like, okay. Let me ask you the one play. Cause I kind of watched that mute fast forward and stuff where people really complained about maybe one of the pass pass interference offensive PI on the Utah state touchdown Were people really clamoring for that. Some people were, I don't know if it was particularly strong clamoring though. I just call that the Michael Irving touchdown catch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Player of the Cowboys, his arms are locked up close. He does just enough to, there may have been some extension there, but not really enough to, not a big old push off. Yeah. So I saw that a few times. I was like, was there, who's the guy who played in the NFL, Fresno Cameron? Um, what's his name? Cameron Morrell. Morrell. He's like, no. Essentially, we replied to us like, no, it's not PI or something. But that, I saw that. I'm like, well, no, that's there's a little bit there, but the receiver the DB had his hand on him too a little bit, so it's like, it's mm-hmm. but Utah State, like, they didn't play bad really, but they didn't play good either. Like, Logan Bonner, yeah, it could have been better, but still had over 200 something yards, 230. The defense played okay, they had a handful of TFLs and sacks, nothing to write home about. Like, Shaq Bond, not good with Shaq Bond's religion tackler in any type of game when he plays deep secondary. Justin Rice did fine, but you're right on this, like, Utah CSU did. Every a lot of things very good, but the few few glaring things just screwed them at the end. Yeah, but, and it sort of it sort of reminds me a little bit about something that came up during the course of um, you know talking a little bit about this week's uh, updated SP Plus rankings. And for a few weeks now, Utah State fans have been pointing out, well, you know, why are the Aggies lacking? And I'm trying to look up exactly where they are at this point. You know, they're still 103rd nationally by SP Plus. Yeah. Despite, despite being five and two. And so, so, you know, a lot of Utah State fans, if they aren't familiar with what the system is meant to actually gauge, they think, okay, well, why is that the case? Increasing expectations. That's part of it. And it sort of reminded me a little bit about, um, and I think I had to go and look it up to confirm it, but about like 2018 Hawaii, you know, the, the, okay. the very first year that Nick Rolovich era before they won the division title. Um, the year before, okay. Where they, they went eight and six, but they finished in the triple digits by SP plus. And a lot of that is like, okay, well, why does that happen? It was because of things like being outgained by two yards per play, you know, giving up so many sacks and so many TFLs, um, you know, and, and so I didn't ask for it. I wish I had, but I have to imagine that, you know, by Bill Connolly's win uh, post game win expectancy, that if you put all these numbers into kind of a neutral mix and ran this game out again, I have to think that CSU would have won this game more than 50% of the time. Oh, and, yeah. And so to, so to go back to the larger point, this is the fourth time this year that Utah State has beaten someone while getting outgained on a per-play basis. <laughs> the only one that they have or that, where that didn't happen was North Dakota. And so, yeah, you give, you give, them, you give them credit for putting things together, for, for like finding ways to win. But then you have to realize, you have to take a step back and think, okay, well, the only reason they lost this game is because Steve Adazio really screwed up because if, if they had done exactly what everybody expected them to do, you know, that, that previous play, which everybody forgets now, Ty McCullough, you know, 15 Mm. yards, like right in the center of the field, like he did his job. Utah state's defense had a breakdown on that play. They let him get open in a situation where he probably should not have. And then ever and then all hell broke loose immediately after. And that's not the first time that's happened to Utah State this year. So are they flying over their skis a little bit? Maybe. I mean, I don't think yeah. they're a bad team. I think they're definitely improved on what Is they were a year first, before. Are we talking about first place Utah State at the moment? Are they still in first place? They are, they are in first place. They got sole possession. 
they somehow be there for us. So yeah. Oh my goodness. So so they control their own destiny, but there's still a lot of work <sighs> to be done. Air Force, come on, how'd you blow it? Okay, I don't care. It's fine. You just did good for them. Yeah, there's, they're getting the job done. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, a win is a win, no matter how pretty it is, how wild it is. You know, they're they're not going to apologize for Steve Adazio making a mess of himself. Mm, I see. No, that makes, yeah, well, he needs to take some responsibility and figure things out on his own because he ruined. Could this? Could you say this might be their best performance of the year? Rams up just about. Like, I mean, probably, yeah. It's up there. It's like, yeah, it's only 24 points, but like what Centeo has done most of the year, he hasn't thrown this well. It's like if he gets above 200 yards, I'm like, oh, that's good. Yeah, like he's he really ran. he's really coming on strong in the last few weeks. And so like this, it's, getting, it's getting to the point where it's like it's sort of like a wasted performance. Yeah. Yeah, it's he's improved me wrong, proved me wrong to play better. Like he's the only option he really had, but yeah, he didn't run as much, which is probably better, especially when David Bailey had 30 carries for 159. But yeah, it's tough. We'll see if the Rams, the three and four, if they go to a bowl game. I don't know, man. They're they're getting there, but it's like just just annoying. It's just frustrating. Where if you're fa- more if you're a fan of the team, but if you're just watching, it's like, what are you doing, coach? It's like, like I'll go back to this. We'll move on. But you need to have a go signal and a no go signal. You know what I mean? Like that's very important because there's when you don't want to go, you really don't want to go do something. They'd say no. Yeah. And then like what could like here's what the doom like even a worse scenario could have been. Holy crap! Offense is confused. Special teams confused. You kick the ball. He makes it. Too many men on the field could have been a real possibility mm-hmm. in that game. And then it goes back to what did you say? It was a forty two yarder he kicked? It was yeah. You go back to forty seven. Like you gonna try that again? Oh boy. <laughs> Like any any here's you have no timeouts, clock runs. Jeremy, what's the rule for the automatic clock runoff? Would the clock just expired with the penalty? Can, is there like a 10 second runoff? Maybe I don't recall what that rule is, but there might like that might have been a possibility. A possibility either the clock runs out because you have to penalty because it's like you purposely doing a penalty to get the ball again or something. One of those mm-hmm. type of deals. I don't know how if that exactly is the case. Maybe I'm completely completely wrong. But let's just say there's a penalty. They get to kick again the clock. Go to lines, you got to be ready with a couple seconds, and then you gotta, um, you know, kick the ball with two seconds and your five yards back. So mm-hmm. it could have been well, I don't know how it gets much worse, but it could have been holy crap, what now? Especially if you made it, but uh, why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with Royal Caribbean? You don't just go to the beach, you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip, you ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, what game do we have next year? Oh, that would be New Mexico, Mexico. 14, Wyoming 3. How is Wyoming never 4-0, man? <laughs> Are they going to go, like, have they found the end zone this month? I don't even remember. Uh, <laughs> Are they over October? A touchdown? That's what I'm else? saying. Like, is it? Um, it feels like they are. I can't prove it, but it feels like they, they just. Are. We. I'll, I'll look while we get to the game. They didn't score last week. Were they shut out last week? Yes. So at least two weeks. I will look and see. But fourteen to three. First off, congrats to um, coach. Or what's, oh sorry, yeah, they, they scored. They scored twice against Air Force. It just feels yeah. like it's been a month. So oh, man, it's it's not looking good for them. But they brought in Isaiah Chavez who. Only 10 of 11, 112 yards. That's all was needed. Uh, I'm sorry. That's a that's a new program record for accuracy. Thank you. I'm sure. Was that 91%? <laughs> Not quite. Not, what is it? It's, I, think of, it oh, I think technically it's like 88.9, I think, uh, or 89.9, something like that. Either way, it's very good. good. It is very good. He maybe he's a quarterback in the future because wasn't he the QB who beat Fresno State last year? Started he was, he was also the QB who beat Wyoming last year. <laughs> Okay, so maybe he's, he should be getting the, getting the ball. He's about, he's about to be public enemy number one out there in Laramie. But yeah, I think Terry but, Williams, goodbye. But the box score really <laughs> sort of like it sort of obscures the what I consider to be one of the major stories in the game, which is offensive coordinator Derek Verheim. You know, he he must have seen something in the film or maybe just, you know, watched a lot of film over the last several weeks and realized, you know, with the, the, the injuries at quarterback, the injury to Terry Wilson you know, the ineffectiveness that they, you know, because they, they had really scuffled a lot coming into this game. And so we thought, you know, especially against a strong Wyoming defense that it might be more of the same. And then they came out and they did a lot of triple option in the first half. Did you notice that? That is a little different. I say the reason I say Chavez ran the ball 16 times, take advantage of that stuff. Yeah. And, and led the team in, in rushing, by the way, yeah, it's fine. 49, 49 yards on the ground. Yeah, good enough, it, fine. Yeah. So, you know, they took it and it was really that, you know, we talked about the youth movement coming into this year and sort of the ups and downs of, of kind of breaking in a lot of new playmakers at once. And for one week, it seemed like, you know, those guys were paying the, the biggest dividends, you know, Aaron Dumas scored a touchdown on the ground, 12 carries, 35 yards, not, not flashy, but he was complimented by Chavez, who's I believe still a freshman himself, technically. Uh, Luke Weissong had another strong game, you know, 46 yards on eight carries. You know, so they took advantage of his speed to be able to attack the edges in a way that they really hadn't been able to or hadn't tried in weeks past. And while the passing game, I think, was more functional than it was like, you know, air ready or anything like that, you know, they still managed to get a couple of big plays out of that, too. You know, Kyle Jarvis had a big 34 yard catch to set up a touchdown. Trace Buckler, his lone catch was 43 yards. And so, again, it wasn't like an A plus performance. But it was more than enough to, to move the ball just enough against a, a Wyoming defense that, you know, by and large, I would say did its job. You know, they, they only averaged 4.7 yards per play. The Lobos did. And 
yeah, Wyoming. Like one thing that was disappointing about the game is that Wyoming didn't generate a ton of pressure when on those rare chances that they they dropped back to pass. Like they didn't even have any QB hurries, let alone any sacks. What? Why were they throwing thirty times? Where that I don't doing? know. That I don't know. Because we've and so and so that's this. why and so that's why you look at okay they average they average under four yards per play. The Cowboys did on offense. Oof. That's a problem because neither QB showed up again in this game. And neither did Xavier Valaday somehow. Like, give credit to Lobo's defense, but he only had 41 yards and long of eight. Okay, like, so here, he was... here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. And, other, and Wyoming fans, I think, were starting to point it out more and more, too. That offensive line looked really shaky yeah, against the Mexico front. So, totally did, yeah. And Lobo's got some decent players back there. Like, they have players like Joey Noble had two, one and a half TFLs at half the sack. They were getting the quarterback – they're getting enough. Like they weren't amazing. Well, okay. Let me rephrase that. Why don't we score three points? Like if you look at like the big stats, like oh sacks, TFLs, pass defenses, like they did, yeah, they weren't that great. Two and four, two sacks, four TFLs, nothing amazing. But they were stopping validate at the line of scrimmage, essentially. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he, him or Titus Sweet Sweet Sweeney got Sweeney got the ball. Williams ran okay, but it's like their longest running play was a Titus run play of 11 yards. Like Sean Tabor's had a 10 yarder. Yeah, so it wasn't like the Lobos were racking up a lot of a lot of disruption. Like, you know, we talk about stuff rate and things like that. Behind the yard, behind the it, line, yeah. It wasn't like they were doing a ton of that, but they weren't allowing a lot of big plays either. Which is helpful to win, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's, Long- it's especially helpful when you when you want to throw on first down as often as Wyoming did. Like, you know, what, what have they proven this year that Nothing. that is anything that they should be doing. And some of that has, maybe some of that has to do with, you know, the offensive line where if they can't open holes, if they can't do what they're accustomed to doing, you know, that's where I think, you know, that three of 12 on third down comes from, you know, in, in that yeah. their willingness to kind of extend drives, they were only one of three on fourth downs as well. So like they put themselves out there to try and extend drives. They just don't have, I guess, yeah, I guess you would call it scheme. At this point, like their scheme just they, isn't working. They want to throw more, which we get, but this is clearly too much. And it's not like New Mexico's a great team. They get three wins. That's very good for them. That's they're on the right track. They're getting it, there. It also win. didn't make a lot of sense the rotation that Craig Bull was using because Chambers started the game, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then when did he get replaced by Levi Williams? Um, was it like in the I second quarter? I, I know that I believe it was Ryan Thorburn who had a write-up of the game afterwards. I want to say it was like in the second quarter. Yeah, it was it was the, the first full drive of the second quarter. You know, Chambers throws an incomplete pass to yeah, Isaiah Nair. They punt away. New Mexico takes back takes over at the 12 um, and get the ball back. Next time they get the ball back, Levi Williams is under center. They yeah. put together a field goal drive. New Mexico strings together their second touchdown drive. Sean Chambers doesn't see the ball, doesn't see the field again until the fourth quarter. Mm. I don't know. They're and, and, whatever. And apparently the only the only reason, I mean, I, it's really hard to see why Williams got benched or rotated out or whatever you want to call it. Because you know, it was the last full drive that he had kind of late in the third quarter, like it wasn't a great drive. Like they only moved the ball 12 yards before punting away. But, yeah. but it, I, I just don't understand what they were trying to accomplish because the next time they had the ball and then Chambers rotated back in, it was because Isaiah Neighbor fumbled. Uh, it was it was a running play. I was trying to, I was trying to remember if it was a running play or a punt return. 
Um, you know, they it was first and ten at their own twenty. Wyoming's managed to force a missed field goal in that situation, and then Chambers comes out. So like, there's really nothing to suggest why Chambers came out, and then subsequently why Williams came out. And it was really interesting reading both of their post game quotes. Because I can't remember what they said exactly, but it's pretty obvious that both guys are frustrated with whatever's going on on the sidelines there. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? It's like nothing's working. That's a problem. They don't have a quarterback because neither of them have seized. Neither of them have seized the job at this point. Well, they're also putting them in a bad position to throw thirty times. Exactly. Like they were down fourteen to three at halftime. I get the running games are working, but you have what they could do is like, um, well, they have what. I know they tried to chambers ran 10 times. They tried to mix them into a ground game. Like the quarterbacks ran 15 times for 44 yards. Lobos weren't getting TFLs or getting them. They were just not getting big plays. So it's like, they were trying to do what we typically want them to do. But I think part of it, the offensive line and whatever you want to say about validate, whether it's his play or the offensive line or both more the line, probably than that. He didn't have a good game because if he goes for like 14 for a hundred or 14 for 90, like or just double his yards, 14 for 84, they're probably not throwing, they're not throwing 30 times. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of it too. And running games like going, well, we've got to pass because not moving the ball either way. And they can't pass like, you know, geez. So if you're, if you're in the building and, and make it in your decision maker for the Wyoming coaching staff, are you pulling the plug on Sean Chambers at this point? <sighs> I don't know. Because Maybe give, I, because, Levi, give because, him a full game. Give Levi Williams a full t- game, not just seven pass attempts. Because it seems like Chambers has gone backwards for the for the last month straight. Yeah, the, you know, in, in his last last, last four games, two touchdowns, six interceptions, under six yards per play in each game, under five yards per play in the last two weeks against Fresno State and New Mexico. Which and and again, you know, New Mexico's got a solid defense, but this is not a defense against which Wyoming should be averaging four point two yards per attempt, and that's exactly what Chambers did in this game. Um, under fifty percent completion rate in the last three games, I think you got to give Lee Williams an extended addition again because we talked about it at the beginning of the year, like yeah, Chambers has been injured. He's seen basically the equivalent of a full season at this point. I think I think I've seen enough if I'm making that decision. Or at least give Williams a full game. Like, don't pull him around and play just sparingly. Give him a shot. I know you're four and three. They were, but now here's the point. Now, bowl game's still in the works. There's no way that's not even. I'm, do you really think that well, that's a given? If they, if they get to a bowl game, it's because the defense drags them there. Well, I'm checking their schedule. I mean, they they need two. They're four and three. They only need two wins. What's left? I'm, I I don't have the schedule in front of me, so maybe I'm more off base. But I mean, they're reasonably close. Like division wise, no, they're done. Zero and three. It's not happening. But if my computer work faster. But uh, you're right, but maybe he – because they have – let's see here real quick. But I'm just saying, two wins out of what they've left, out of what, five games? Okay, so they get San, They go to San Jose State next week. They can win that. And then they're home versus, home versus Colorado State for the border war. I, I think they can win that too. At Boise, at Utah State, eh. and then home versus Hawaii for the Peniola Trophy. It's not impossible. I give it a 50-50 chance to make a bowl game. Uh, can they can they find the end zone before we have that talk? Sure, we, uh, we could totally that. I'm just saying that schedule's not overly daunting. Where they that that coaching staff is wasting a lot of really strong defensive performances. And I would I, I do not totally. I do not I do not 
blame Wyoming fans for whatever frustrations they're feeling because you know, they point out that Craig Bowl too is the highest paid coach in the Mountain West. Ugh, At this point, with this with this team, which came into the year as one of the most experienced anywhere in the country, like ha- has there been a bigger disappointment in the group of five? I'll take me a bigger conversation to think about what's out there, but um, they've, uh, they've, the way- got a, they've got a month to figure it out because right, right now that's where they're at. In my opinion, <laughs> hold on. I went to ESPN FPI. Do you want to guess what? Oh, oh, sorry. I looked at this incorrectly. Do you want to guess their chance of winning out? What it says. It's probably like 1%. It's exactly 1.0%. I'm trying to pull up here. My internet's being super slow. But they give you the, they're still projected win total of 6.2 wins. Mm-hmm. So you still give them a chance to go, a chance to go to the bowl game. As for a specific percentage, let me just see if my internet will help me out and go faster. But basically, they're still they're still leaning on the side of them, figuring things out. Like you said, defense leading them the way to get to bowl game. They have a let's see, um, just a win probability. Oh my gosh, my internet is ridiculously sad. Um, it's not working. Oh, here we go. Hold on, uh, this is such great podcasting. Well, here's the thing: why it's interesting. Like we say, I'm pretty close. Like they're it's interesting. They're giving. I said five points. 75% chance to beat Hawaii, which seems high. But San Jose State is basically toss up at 45%. CSU, 47%. Utah State, 41%. Boise is 15%. So they're figuring they'll probably win one of those one of those three toss-up games where they're not favored and then beat Hawaii. I guess but we'll I don't see. Know if they, I, think, I don't know if they will, but I'm saying I'd still give them a 50-50 chance. But you're right. Touchdowns, kind of a prerequisite to go bowling, right? You think? It, it typically helps, yes. <laughs> it does help. All right, what do we got next? Just, let's go to the uh, Aztecs game, right? Yeah. San Diego State, 20. Air Force, 14. So, despite Air Force not historically playing well the past while, are they getting dominated by San Diego State all the time? <laughs> okay, so so you read that column? <laughs> I glanced over it, so I know the gist of it. But, yeah, it's like... Uh, okay, so the short, ans- the short answer is no. Bad take. The short answer is bad take. And I and the reason I pointed that out, because yes, Air Force has lost nine in a row to the Aztecs, which I didn't realize. Not good, clearly. I didn't know it was that many. I thought it was like five or six. But the, but the I think last... one of those is a title game, I believe. One of those is. Yeah, one of those. So going back to, you know, 2015, I believe, you know, there's 2015, then 2017, 2018, and then this game. Four straight one-score losses in this series for the Falcons. Interesting, and it was a really it was a really interesting game to watch because San Diego State they kind of sort of in a lot of ways followed sort of the same pattern that they, that they did against the Utah game, where they they got out to a huge lead and then very nearly let the opposition back in. You know, they maybe relented a little bit in the second half when Air Force was oh by the way running out of backup quarterback and maybe missing one or two of the biggest playmakers. And so it was one of those things where a handful of things go differently. This could be a much bigger tale, but then you really take a, let's take a look, a step back and figure out, okay, well, what did San Diego State do to win this game? Because I think I don't want to necessarily discredit the Aztecs. They went out and they won this game because they took advantage of the opportunities that they created for themselves. But to me, the biggest, the biggest number in this game, rushing success rate, San Diego State, 42%. And, and that was without Greg Bell for most of the game, mind you. Yeah, Air, Air Force, 28%. 19% success rate overall on offense. That's your game right there. Yeah. Because I feel like this was a defensive showcase 
in which the Air Force offense made just enough mistakes to put the defense under pressure. The Aztecs didn't string together a lot of long drives in this game. You know, I saw some Aztecs fans talking to like, okay, now that was a drive. And you look at it, it was 12 plays, 42 yards, <laughs> that, you know, for their first scoring drive, their first exactly. touchdown drive. 12 you know, plays, half took, field. <laughs> took a lot of time, took a lot of time off the clock, but you know, they had like basically one, one drive, which was their, their final touchdown drive, you know, proved to be very important for them. That went seven plays, 75 yards. Other than that, the offense was very hit or miss. You know, they had more, they had twice as many three and outs as Air Force did, but you know, they, but the defense did its job by shutting down the Air Force running game by winning the turnover battle. You know, the, the Zeke Daniels had the interception on the first drive from you know, Dallas Branch, had a very heads up kind of playing coverage. And then they forced a fumble later on. And they took advantage of both of those things. You know, they turned the, uh, they turned both turnovers into two field goals that ultimately made the difference in this game. So I see a game where both defenses played at a high level. But the Air Force offense in particular blinked, and that was really the difference in this game. Yeah, it was not what they needed to do against his asset. Not that they blinked, but Aztec's defense is really good too. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like both of neither of these teams really blew the other away on offense. Like the Aztecs no. outgained the Falcons on a per play basis, 4.4 to 4.1. Oh, geez, that was but, brutal. But again, Sometimes. but again, if you look at it, like neither side was able to get into the backfield all that often. You know, one sack piece, which you know, given, given how little these teams throw the football, probably not a big deal. San Diego State only had five TFLs though. For, for nine total yards of loss. Air Force only had three. The key difference was that, you know, you look at Air Force's running game, Brad Roberts, seven carries, 27 yards. And, you know, one of those yards was an 11-yard run. So they had a handful of big plays. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I were to look at an opportunity rate, for example, in this game, which I don't have that number in front of me, but I have to imagine that that weighed out heavily in favor of the Aztecs, where, you know, they weren't no, they weren't getting a lot of pushback. You know, they weren't getting into the backfield that much, but they weren't really giving a lot of ground either. And I think that sort of bears itself out in the fact that Air Force was only four of sixteen on third downs, and having to face third and seven on average in this game, having to throw the ball way more often than they wanted to, especially once they got behind by twenty points. Also, it doesn't help a couple things here, like the points off turnovers. <laughs> Yeah, for Air, Air Force, like the intercept, interception field goal, the uh, fumble field goal, and there wasn't there one other, I believe. Um, no, maybe that was it. I thought there was three, one, a third one. Uh, no, that was it. Sir. Uh, oh, turnover down, so touchdown. So that's technically a turnover, in my opinion, essentially. Yeah. You don't get it. So those three drives were all led to that could really be different. That's what, 13 points? Yeah. Short, short fields or shortish fields, essentially. Because that first one, it only went four yards. You know what I mean? And they got the field goal, and you have uh, a reason there kicking all the kicking the ball at the eighty-one yarder, which was was eighty-one yards, not even his longest one of the season, where he was yeah. in the end zone, and it was like it wasn't a bounce; it was in the air for majority of that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it wasn't like a bounce and just spun to the other end of the field. It was, it went probably did it go to the twenty like seventy-five yards in the air, just about. Yeah. It was something. It, was, it only bounced like a little bit. In the Air Force guy was back there to get the ball, but that obviously makes a difference. But turnover and downs, where and they score points, like that was a big key as well. Where Air Force made mistakes, and then well, defense. yeah, and, and that's the other thing too. San Diego State won the field position game. Yeah, you know, we talked about it in the preview where both of these teams had been had benefited from 
either you're creating really strong field advantage or or putting opponents in really bad situations. Air Force's starting field position on average was their own 22 yard line. Meanwhile, the Aztecs had, you know, four different drives, not including like the last drive to end the game, where they started on Air Force's side of the field. You know, again, that's probably that's probably your game right there. Yeah, that's it. 20 to 14, Aztecs win, 7 0. Undefeated. Are they? I don't have the uh, recent polls. Are they a top 20 team yet? They moved up, moved up what, one spot? Uh, they're top 20 in the coaches poll. They're number 20 overall. Uh, in the AP okay. poll, they moved up to number 21. Okay. I just have the box score and it says 22. I knew that was from the week. So there's them and there's Cincinnati, who's undefeated, but also number two in the country. I guess SMU as well is ahead of them by a couple spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also add to this game, like Lucas Johnson didn't blow, blow anybody's doors off. He did just whatever. He started, he didn't pass very pass a ton, didn't, didn't run a lot. They get the job done essentially for what he did. So I was hoping to touch more because 11 to 13 is good, like efficiency wise, but like a few more yards. And I thought his running would have been better, but three for one. But uh, we'll, well see if he's and- going forward. He got to call, but didn't really achieve what I was hoping he would achieve. Like if you complete 11 passes, you should get probably closer to 100 yards. Yeah, I mean, I think the other big story that's going to emerge out of this game, which I'm assuming we'll probably know more about in a couple of weeks, Air Force is on by, I believe, in week nine. Um, mm-hmm. Has Zeke Daniels, you know, he got knocked out in this game. He got replaced by Warren Bryan. Mm-hmm. Um, and and with the backup quarterback, like, let's not forget, like, you know, the running game was really held in check. They averaged four yards per play as a team on the ground. But they didn't miss by much. You know, there was the one pass that I believe he threw to Micah Davis that went right through his hands. You know, hit hit him in his hands, and it would have been an 86 yard touchdown if he held on to it. Yeah, that could that's a big play, right? <laughs> yeah, so you have to figure like you know, hopefully they'll get that sorted out in practice. Like you know, those 50 50 shots, like you want to take advantage of them. Like you can't have drops like that when when you're especially when you're behind, which they were at that point. So. You know, we'll see about Daniels. We'll see about some of the other playmakers. You know, it's going to be gut check time against Army in a couple of weeks too. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. All right, so we get to your game, Fresno, Nevada. Let's do it. How excited were you about this game? I don't know if excited was the right word. <laughs> Just well, never really, never really excited. felt like like the lead was safe as long as Carson Strong was still throwing. You, you tell me like the 16 fourth quarter points to nearly come from behind to get the win. No, I did not like that actually. <laughs> no, it was a, uh, so what was your thoughts? Like this was a, this live up. I felt there'd be, I'd, be, I'd like points. If there are more points, that'd be great. But this game kind of lived up to being a close game, both like, especially particularly Carson strong throwing as well as he did. Um, your team gets to win. So is it more what a sigh of relief, I guess, is that what you're getting at? Instead of a we victory, we won. Yay. It's like, phew, it's over. We got the win. Yeah, because, I mean, it really depends on what measures you look at, but it was sort of like a, a back-and-forth kind of game where, yeah, it's, it's, both teams scored in the 30s, but you could say that both defenses made their share of plays as well. Yeah. Because there, there wasn't a ton of points. Like, I could mention the six, 34 points, a decent amount, but you're right. Like, there's interception Fresno State had. They The rest of the game for Nevada was okay with Toa Tawa. Like, not on Jordan Mims, but for Fresno, like Fresno's defense made plays, but their secondary clearly did not because Carson Strong threw it 61 times. 
Well, I mean, you say that the running game did fine, but Tawa gained 39 of his 62 rushing yards on two plays. Hey, I'll tell you this, it all counts. You told me it all, it all counts. So, But overall, even – yeah, he was – you're right. He had long of 28, but it's the boomer bust type of thing that we're seeing with him. Like, overall, well, yeah, you're right, but I always like to joke with you because you told me, hey, it all counts. It doesn't matter. But you're well, right. Well, I mean, case, case two in big point. Plays, two big plays doesn't I, make a game. No, um, I mean, yes and no, because on the one hand – you know, the, like Tawa's struggles in this game and maybe the offensive line by extension. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Nevada, I believe, and I think it was Nathan Shoup of the, of the Reno Slant podcast to put this out there. Nevada had four different drives that stalled within the Fresno State 40-yard uh, line where they came away with zero points. Yeah, you know, there, was, there, was, there was the interception that Carson Strong, where he had a defender in his face, kind of kind of a duck throw that Darren Bland was able to come down with, you know, very next drive, they get down to the Fresno state 38 and they punt. <laughs> what are you doing? I know. I'm like, and then, and then more, and yeah, then, mind boggling. And then more to the point I wanted to make, I believe it was when they were at, you know, it was fourth and one at the Fresno state 33 and they run the wildcat and turn it over on downs. And to me, like it wasn't necessarily that running the wildcat was in itself like a bad idea because they run it ever so often. And, you know, sometimes it works in a, in a big way. Like there was the fourth down play that they had, I believe, in the bowl game last year against Tulane where, you know, they worked out. But to me, it just seemed like a, a, a play that developed way too slowly in that particular situation where first State was able to close in on it and keep them from moving the chains. And when you when you have a quarterback who's dealing like Carson Strong was, interception aside, like why are you calling that play in that situation? Why are you not trusting your potential first round draft pick NFL quarterback to get you one yard? Hey, they could have brought Nate Cox six nine million over and get to one yard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could literally stand under center and just fall over and see what happens or something. <laughs> Just say it. I know, but I, but, but I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, you he know, does str- that though. Strong did like literally everything he could to win this game. 476 <laughs> yards, four touchdowns, and he took a beating while doing it. Yeah, five sacks, and and maybe more to kind of what I was talking about a minute ago. Fresno State had 11 tackles for loss in this game. They were getting after the running backs, keeping both you know Tawa and Devontae Lee in check making Nevada more one-dimensional than they wanted to be. And it seemed like Nevada was okay with it, not only because it's strong, because strong can make all the throws pretty, pretty evidently. But it, I got the sense that like Jay Norvell and Matt Mummy were betting that Nevada's wide receivers could give Fresno State's defensive backs the slip more often than not. They were running a lot yeah. of screens. Well, you know, they weren't really <laughs> taking that many shots down the field. Romeo and, Dubs, 24, all in long plays, only 24 yards. But he had is 19 receptions a mountainous record? I believe it's a program record, at least. Cause I'm trying to think like whatever receiver would catch like I I have no clue. I'm trying to think of random guys, but, like who gets that? Like Devontae Adams of Fresno State, I don't know. When you had Keyshawn Johnson really good a couple years ago, like what player would be getting thrown that many times? Steve Smith at Utah years ago. I don't know, but he was uh 19. That's gotta be up there, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm asking this a quick question about the game. We're not the game, but kind of a bigger picture. Is Jordan Mims now the starting running back for Fresno State? I mean, the only reason I would say no is because the only reason he got so much playing time is got Rodney Rivers got knocked out by injury. 
Okay, just made wondering. I'm, okay. But Fair yeah, point. he but he went out and reminded people why he was the starting running back a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. Before before he got banged up, before he redshirted for a year. No, um, like if he plays this well, is he going to take over? And and that to me was another real key in this game because you know not only did Nevada not punish Jake Hayner in the same way that I was worried that they might, no sacks in this game, one TFL for that defensive line. And that was something else that a lot of Wolfpack fans were really worried about coming into the game and started vocalizing, I think, more and more as the game progressed. Fresno State beat them between the tackles with, with Rivers and Mims. And that was something that reared its head at, you know, against Hawaii early in that game before they kind of put it together. And, and, you know, and, and I would say primarily before Day Day Hunter got hurt. And, you know, that's what betrayed them against Kansas State as well. So it seems to me that that's one of those, you know, potentially fatal flaws that could keep them from reaching their ceiling. And so while Jake Hayner had, you know, he had a pretty solid game, you know, 256 yards, two touchdowns on 26 of 38 throwing, they finally had balance against a defense that, that was beatable in that regard. And to me, that was, you know, combined with the defensive stops that the, the Bulldogs were able to put together, that was enough to come away with a victory. And it almost wasn't because Carson Strong is just that good that he took the, he took them down the field in what, 50 seconds, 90 yards. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's why he's going to be that's number insane. One. That's why he's going to be, that's one, why he's going to be a starting quarterback. In the NFL yeah. Maybe number one overall, like maybe, maybe my Houston Texans, maybe my Houston Texans could get him. I don't know. They've got David Mills. He's doing okay. But just this, this game lived up to the hype for you. It did. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this. One, one more question. Do you think that there's pass interference on that two-point drive band? It was fine. What do you think? It didn't seem to me like he had made a lot of contact. He like he wasn't looking at the ball, but it didn't seem like he yeah. was interfering with with Dubs before what's it got the, there. What's the rule? Because there's the NFL college different rule. If you're face guarding in one of the leagues, it's PI automatically. Which one is that? Is that NFL or is that college? Maybe that's the reasoning behind it. Yeah, I'm not totally sure. Because that's I because I here's the thing I officiate stuff, so I do water polo and like there's that similar rule, but it's like it depends what same level. Like if you're doing national high school rules or like the United States rules, there's one different thing about face guarding, which is basically the same thing when you're obviously you're locked up, you're facing the guy, not looking to play the ball, you're gonna defensive is defense is gonna get a call, your defense is gonna have a penalty or a call go against them. Yeah. So I don't recall which is which I always forget. But yeah, let them play, right? I don't know. And and by the way, to answer your earlier question, which one uh, <laughs> which about one? about the number of catches for Romeo Dubs? Yeah, uh, not the first time a Wolfpack receiver has caught nineteen passes in a game. Well, hold on, wait, is it um, was Nate Bur- Nate Burleson went to Nevada, right? That's correct. Was it him? It was him back in two thousand right? back in two thousand and two <laughs> against UTEP. Nineteen times nineteen. Uh, 19 receptions, 179 yards, and a touchdown in that game. Current CBS this morning guy getting big time jobs now. <laughs> yeah, and and the only other guy to surpass him as far as Mountain West receivers are concerned is Thomas Spurback. You might recall Boise State wide receiver, 20 catches, yes. 281 yards back in 2015. Mm. Okay, interesting. 2018. Okay, that's uh, that's good. All right, um, final game of the weekend. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Hawaii gets a sweep over to Mexico State. 
40 shoot my internet slogan was it 48 34 is that the final score yes okay so is there a concern well we're talking about hawaii scoring points is good but is there any concern about that defense giving up 34 points to the Aggies? i mean not necessarily because a lot a lot of that production happened after the the warriors had built a big lead and then sort of had to trade blows down the stretch in order to maintain it yeah, that's why I was wondering too. It's like it's more of a more or less like okay, we're up big and kind of see what happens a little bit here and there. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, when, like, you, when you you know, when you look at what they actually did, they, you know, they had first of all they had two pick sixes. There's that too. Yeah, so that, that, that's always going to help. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if there's like I suppose if there are any potential because like it wasn't again we're talking about like eight plus performances versus something that maybe isn't and. You know, I'm not going to call this an A-plus performance because you gave up 34 points to New Mexico State still. Um, so, I mean, there, there are definitely some things for the Warriors to work on, you know, like power running situations, for example. New Mexico State wasn't great running the football in this game. Um, you know, <laughs> or maybe they were. I was looking at you know, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong column for some reason. Um, you know, their two main running backs averaged at least six yards per carry each. Um, and, you know, in terms of advanced stats, you know, power running situations, short yard situations, in other words, New Mexico state was 11 of 12 in those, uh, you know, and Hawaii also gave up 10 big plays that totaled 227 yards. So it was definitely more of a give and take than I would imagine that, that Todd Graham and Victor Santa Cruz were probably comfortable with. So there's going to be some things to work on, but the fact that the defense was able to come away with big plays to win the turnover battle, for example, you know, uh, you know, they had the, the interceptions, they had eight pass breakups, by the way, which, you know, I think that's still number one in the conference in that regard, you know, Corey Bethley had one Cortez Davis had three, Hugh Nelson had two. So they gave themselves opportunities to, to create those breaks for themselves. It wasn't perfect. It was good enough in this game. I think if we, you know, we've definitely seen enough out of this team in the last past few weeks to think that they could definitely create some headaches down the stretch for for some unsuspecting contender. You think so? I think they'll knock somebody off that they're not supposed to because of this? I think so. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know their depth on was on display in this game as well, especially on offense. Because Dedrick Parson showed up, you know, with uh, you know, Danny Hunter out for this game. Calvin Turner got banged up a little bit in this game. You know, Turner showed out with 124 yards total offense, but it was really the Dedrick Parsons show. 215 total all-purpose yards, three touchdowns, all, all on the ground. I think he was sort of like between he and Turner, like that's the sort of offense that I think they want to run. Like we've seen sort of like the peak Hawaii offense, which isn't the run and shoot that we saw under Nick Rolovich. It's sort of like a, a balance of, of <laughs> speed at the edges that they can that they want to count upon in order to just beat defenders that way but you know parson gives them that physical element between the tackles that i think it was really lacking earlier in the season i think we're definitely seeing more of it now and between that and Braden shaker coming out and having maybe his best overall game of his young career you know 25 to 29 219 yards no touchdowns but more importantly no interceptions in this game either they took care of the football they were balanced. They created a number of big plays. Yeah, they're going to create some headaches, I would say. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Now, I just, just curious thoughts because they've been good and not so good. You know what I mean? Like they're 
stronghold for some teams. I just want your thoughts because I think they are good enough at times with um, whoever's going to be quarterback. Like they, they aren't. You, I'll, I'll say it like this: you know, they're they're in they're not the same kind of team as San Jose State. Like their their season hasn't had the same kind of trajectory, but I think that they're both in set kind of that same boat. Where like obviously at this point they're both fighting for bull eligibility, mm-hmm. and and maybe to kind of ups you know steal an upset or two down the stretch. I think you know the question for Hawaii is you know if they can't create turnovers then can they get more stops consistently, which yeah, you know I think maybe. in this game you know not only did they win the turnover battle but they also held New Mexico State in check with what they wanted to do. So the secondary won the battle against this Aggies passing game. Jonah Johnson was As only should, right? 24-54 for 228 yards. Yeah, he had to throw a ton to get there. I think especially against, you know, they still have to face Carson Strong at some point. Again, <laughs> you know, they still have to face, I, I'm trying to remember who else is on their schedule. I don't have it in front of me. But, you know, their strengths line up pretty well with at least some of the opponents they have coming down the stretch. It's just a matter of, you know, maybe figuring out a way not to bend so much if the turnovers aren't clicking, aren't landing or whatever, and if the offense gets bottled up a little bit. Because there's going to be a huge difference between facing this New Mexico State defense and some of the ones that they have coming down the stretch too. So they had to get to seven wins. What are they sitting at? Four and three and after this? Four and four? Yeah. Do both games versus the Aggies count? I believe they do. I haven't seen anything to suggest that they won't. I'm, kid- <laughs> I'm just half kidding. <laughs> just, it's, it used to be that rule the FCS games didn't count, or now if you do two, only one do. I just half kidding. want to get a little chuckle out of you. So, um, but the, so, so down, my, down the stretch, here's their last five games. Thank uh, you. My internet's being trashed, so I apologize this last little bit. <laughs> so it's at Utah State, home versus San Diego State. No. Uh, at UNLV. Yeah. Home versus Colorado State. And then at Wyoming to close the year. They only have four games left. They're not five. They have five. That's what I just said. Oh, oh, I thought I missed one. Sorry. Um, they need to win three of those. Oh, maybe that's kind of the wins. Maybe it's a decent chance, right? That that game against Utah State is going to be fascinating to watch. That week. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, it's afternoon games. It'll be early out in the islands because it's a one o'clock local kick. Which means it's what, like eight, what, four hour like, difference? I think it's like a three or four hour difference. Yeah. So it's like a nine three or 10 a.m. kick out there. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Cause I think that's the most important game because I think they should beat UNLV. Actually, well, they didn't win three. So it's going to be the start, the stretch to get there because they'll need to beat. It'll be tough because they're on the road three of those five times. The only game that's not winnable, I would say, San Diego State. And so out of the other four, they got to win three of those, and that's might be too tall of a task this year. They might be six and seven. We'll see. We'll see because that San Jose State loss will probably come back and bite them. So, all right. Anything else to add about this game for San Jose State? Or not? Sorry, sorry, I'm staring at the Spartans here because that's the 1713 Hawaii Mountain West. Do we need to talk about the demise of Conference USA because it's not going to be a thing anymore? Maybe we can talk about it a little bit next week. We'll do that because Mountain West may have. Uh, I still need to write a couple articles that have been sitting there in my queue for like a week and a half. Huh. So, but, but there's one or two that they'll still work, work well, but I think the Mount West may have made the right choice to kind of just uh, take a wait and see approach at this time, but that's it for this week. MWI.com week nine. Do we have any Thursday games again in week nine? Uh, no, we have one Friday game, I believe. And then the restaurant Saturday. All right. So get ready for a long day of Saturday of college football from Mount West. 
mwr.com, Twitter, MWCWire, all that fun stuff. Just check the Twitter feed. We do a ton on Twitter. Website does a good amount too. So check everything out. And yeah, we'll see you next week, everybody. Or next next show, I should say, a couple days.